Welcome to the Monday Morning Phone Call podcast. Every preacher knows when they're teetering on the edge of a topic that will result in receiving a phone call on Monday morning. Instead of backing away, this podcast exists to work through these polarizing ideas and spark conversation. In each episode, we'll be covering a different topic that hopefully we'll be able to address with more nuance and depth than we might be able to in a weekend service. We'd love for this platform to be the start of the conversation, and hopefully it sparks more in-depth dialogue with your friends, family, coworkers, and neighbors. Hi, we're the hosts of this show. I'm Paul Joslin. And I'm Alyssa Frisbee. This season of the Monday Morning Phone Call Podcast is all about fear. We live in a fear-driven society, and it is the motivation to so many of our decisions. Why is that? As people of faith, we are told 365 times, a time for each day of the year, throughout scripture to fear not, and yet it secretly grabs a foothold in our lives. Today, in episode four, we're discussing a fear that wreaks havoc in our society and prevents us from achieving unity and peace with one another. The fear of the other is generally being afraid of someone who is different than us or is part of a group that is perceived to be a threat to our way of life. In this conversation, we aim to identify whether or not we harbor this fear toward a certain people group and how we can move our hearts towards seeing and loving the world as God does. Let's dive in. All right, so I'm very excited about this episode, about the fear of the other. Um, But before we get into this episode, I need to let our audience know that it is actually Alyssa Frisbee's birthday today. Oh, no. (laughs) She did not know that I was going to do this, but I think we just want to say happy birthday to you. I'm not going to sing, so no one needs to freak out about that, but happy birthday. Thanks for doing this on your birthday. Anytime. This is gonna be fun and you better make me look good because oh, it's my, do my best it's your birthday so we'll try not to to throw you under the the bus at all <laughs> thank you uh, but i am very excited about this podcast uh last semester our church went through a book um beautiful resistance by john tyson and one of the chapters in that book was on this idea of fear of the other and so we thought as we're doing in a series and um several episodes on fear it'd be a great conversation to have um so Alyssa, when i say fear of the other i, I think it's helpful to kind of give people a definition of what we're talking mm-hmm. about. So what comes to mind for you when we say that that term fear of the other? I think that I think about someone who is so different from myself that I don't know mm-hmm. how to engage with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and I think about, I think I was around six years old. Okay. And I remember talking to a young woman and I guess six-year-old small talk is like, are you a mom or a kid? <laughs> that like that, because I had no context. Those are for the who... only two categories you could have exactly, for a person. Exactly, right? Yeah. Um, and I think she was just like a strong single woman. Gotcha. Just doing her thing. Um, and thought you were a very sexist six-year-old. Exactly, right? <laughs> that those are the only two choices. Yeah, right. Um, but just like not even knowing how to engage with someone. That That's what I think about is that it's like, it's uncomfortable. You're different from me. I don't know what to do with you. Yeah, I think that's a helpful place to start the conversation because there's a, I think when you talk about the other mm-hmm. and there's a lack of sameness um, yeah. and there's some sort of, of uh, diversity that makes us uncomfortable because it's not the way we grew up. It's not the worldview mm-hmm. we've come from. It's not what we're comfortable with. So I, I think that's really helpful. And then I guess the second part to that question is what, how, how does fear play a part in that relationship or why is this the, the episode that we're choosing to talk about fear of the other? Um, well, I think that the fear of the other plays so much into all of the choices that we make, mm. right? So I think that is the back of the religious choices, the political choices that um, I think inherently we all want to be with people that are similar to yeah. us. Um, 
And in Beautiful Resistance, mm -hmm. they talk about, and I'm going to say this theologian's name, who is... it's a weird one. Yeah, he's Miroslav Wolf. That's great. Did I do a good you job? You had a good accent. Thank that, that you. That is awesome. I don't know what accent that was, but um, <laughs> I had it. He talks about the persistent practice of exclusion, mm -hmm. which is this concept that we inherently push people who are different than us to the margins of our heart, the margins of our lives. Right. Um, and that is not what we're called to do, yeah. uh, which we'll obviously talk about today. Yeah, absolutely. And I think after that quote, um, Tyson in the book, he expounds on that idea a little bit that when we're talking about the other, um, often there's a kind of a process that we use, mm -hmm. um, not even like conscientiously always, but but society and people um, use to to create some of those boundaries between people that are different than us. And so it's a kind of a four-step process he talks about. We, If we see someone who's other or different than us, then we might seek to eliminate them. So mm -hmm. we just don't want them to be a part of our circle, our group, our community. Um, if that doesn't work, then we try to force the people who are different than us to assimilate and to try to, to become like us um, and try to kind of erase some of those differences and, and create a sense of sameness. If that doesn't work, then we often turn to a sense of domination. So we mm -hmm. try to force um, ourselves on them and, and create hierarchies, structures, power uh, that keep people um, separate. And then if all of that doesn't work, uh, which sounds like a terrible road to go down if you keep <laughs> trying this, uh, but we all do it um, in so many different ways, then we, we dehumanize um, mm -hmm. and we demonize. And so we create uh, this idea that the other is somehow um, bad, but not just bad, but an actual threat to our sameness yeah. and our security and our safety. So I think that's a, another side of this is that um, if you look at societies that have struggled with this and, and really gone full-fledged towards the elimination of, of people who are different than them, you can think of like Nazi Germany. Like yeah. this is a very dark side when we fear the other and how some of the, that can be played out and what the implications are. Um, or it turns out when we were trained to bring the gospel to people that were not white, Anglican, yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it has a lot of different um, ways that it plays out. And so to continue this conversation, we uh, have invited Bruce Swanson uh, to join us today. Bruce and his wife, Laura, uh, have been longtime Waterstone attenders. They've also lived in Portugal for 10 years uh, as missionaries. Um, Bruce has continued that work. He's, are you the director of 360 Innovation? Is that your official title right now? Yeah, that's my official title. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was allowed to pick my own titles. So. Nice. <laughs> I like that. And, and basically that means you, uh, are doing missions, but have a, a heavy emphasis on business, um, and helping people. Uh, I guess what I, I saw on your LinkedIn profile as I was trying to, <laughs> to write your bio. That's <laughs> probably out of date. It <laughs> might be. Well, I think it'll help us maybe get an idea of, of some of what you do, but you help uh, form, lead, and invest in companies that operate with kingdom values. And the mm -hmm. idea being that if people have a legitimate job, if they have a, a place of provision for themselves and their families, uh, then it can transform communities, uh, especially if they have some of these kingdom values. So that was one thing. And then I've, I also know you've done some work uh, um, with uh, diverse teams and strategy and planning with 
people from lots of different places. And and so one of the reasons we wanted to invite you on is, is you've done a lot of work around this idea of the other, um, kind of deconstructing some of that. But you've experienced it from both sides as, as being minority culture in Portugal. And I know it's a little different and we can mm-hmm. talk about some of that. But um, yeah, beyond that, when we were talking about this podcast, uh, I, Alyssa knows this, but we were trying to figure out who to have on. And Larry Renault, our senior pastor, said you have to have Bruce. He's the he's the person that, that speaks about this so well. So if Larry listens to you and learns from you, then I think you're a great person for <laughs> us to Larry's learn from. It's Larry's fault, everybody. <laughs> yeah. So we're excited to have you on today. Yeah, and, good and to be thanks. here. Good so, to hear, be here, Paul and Alyssa. Yeah. Yeah. So Bruce, uh, same question that I kind of asked Alyssa. When you hear fear of the other, and that term that we use, what kind of comes to mind for you? Um, like Alyssa said, uh, I think of somebody who feels like they're so different from me that um, I don't think I can anticipate what they might be thinking, what they might be thinking of me, mm. uh, what they might do, how they might react, how I might mess up and offend them or mm. anger them or just, yeah, just somebody I can't, I don't feel like I can read yeah. and and just kind of relax and kind of be comfortable with because yeah, we're kind of on the same wavelength, I think, and yeah. just chill yeah yeah it's almost as as you were talking there i think uh, when you come into contact with people who are different than you there's almost um, a lack of assumption that you can make that maybe Mm -hmm. you can make in in circles that are similar to you and i think we've also all probably been uh in a situation where everyone at the table thought that they were on the same page someone made assumptions about Mm -hmm. that and you're like oh no we don't think alike on that at all (laughs) um so that's kind of some of what we're talking about lack of assumption or, or being able to not or lack of assumption, but also um, sometimes we pour in wrong assumptions. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a great when we qualifier. when we feel abilities. Like yes. Yep, we and can assume things about someone based on right. Certain... We ex- we extrapolate from one experience or things mm. we've read in the media or somebody something somebody told us, and we just say, "Oh, that's what these this person must be like." Yeah, mm-hmm. danger, danger, Absolutely. or or not danger, danger. Just I don't know what to do with this. Yeah, I just kind of mm-hmm. clam up and hold back and. You know, maybe I want to connect, but I just mm-hmm. feel like I don't know how to connect. Yeah. And we just kind of clam up. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things you said there, too, is, is we often classify these groups of people as they or those yeah. Or and, and so there, even in that language, there's an, an othering. Um, and I think one important thing for us to kind of name as we get started with this is that I think in our current cultural context, given the last few years, oftentimes when you talk about the other, uh, the first place that it goes to is is often a racial tension or, or some sort of connection to ethnicity. Um, that's absolutely a part of this conversation. We would like to, to broaden it a bit beyond that, because um, I think there's a lot of, of ways that, that people experience othering or um, being labeled the other in, in a lot of different groups. And so uh, today we're kind of talking about LGBTQ. Um, we are talking about race. We're talking about about socioeconomic uh, differences. We're talking about people who would be classified as special needs and the ways that sometimes that can can make us uncomfortable. Um, there's even, I'd say, some othering that happens, especially in the church with uh, people in different stages of life. So maybe you're elderly and you can be othered, or maybe you're young and single, and so the church doesn't quite know what to, to do with that. And so all of these different groups experience othering to varying degrees. And a, and a couple other areas yeah, that please. our culture is really 
pushing while pushing or emphasizing exacerbating Mm -hmm. the othernesses in the political arena. Yeah, Yeah. that's a great point. And even during this pandemic, it's turned into, I look at the pandemic this way and wearing masks or whatever, vaccinations this way. You don't, you are the other, you are bad. Yep. Mm -hmm. So turns out we're really good at creating divisions (laughs) and dividing lines. It seems like it's accelerating in our culture for a lot of reasons that everybody likes to pontificate about. But yeah. Yeah. And we'll probably get into some of those. And so mm-hmm. I know one of the, the things we're aware of as we sat down and planned this podcast and talked through it is that uh, all of us who are participating in this podcast are, are white. Um, and Bruce, you and I are men. And so we are probably the first. I'm an that... old white male. <laughs> so, you know. I wasn't going to. I didn't want to. <laughs> yeah. But so we, for us especially, we're, we're about as far as you can get from, from othering in America. And I know, Alyssa, as a woman, you, you do experience it. So I don't want to discount that. But we were trying to be conscientious of that. Yeah. So a, as we've had that conversation, could you maybe give uh, everyone listening a little bit of insight as to why we felt comfortable still having this conversation uh, with the three of us? Yeah, I mean, I think in our conversations, we talked a lot about how biblically Mm. even is our responsibility as a majority culture to bridge the gap Mm. that we are need to be reaching out um, and and trying to connect with the others um, and understanding those people Mm. that it is, it's not their job to tell us what to do um, and how to connect with them. And so it felt really important for, again, three white people to sit around and talk about what our experience has been and how we've been able to connect um, and hopefully inspire other white people, you know, older men, cool, (laughs) hip women, you know, all people like us um, to have these conversations and to hopefully grow. Yeah. Is there anything you would add? Yeah, I think the, no, I think that's really well said. And and I think the other um, part of that is that all of us being a part of majority culture um, means that we've uh, just inherently participated in the othering of people, um, whether that's explicit, as as some of my story is, or or more implicitly, um, more subtly. And so I think it's important, and you said this, but to not tell people who have been othered how we can fix that. and, and of course, we listen and, and want to hear, but we also need to, to kind of look at the plank in our own eye mm-hmm. a little bit instead of asking other people to do that for us. So anything you'd add to that, Bruce? Yeah, I'd just say I think you guys felt like, and I agree, that uh, we need to take responsibility. Mm, yeah. And we aren't perfect. I'm, I'm sure we're going to miss stuff in this podcast. Absolutely. And what we think and say could be enriched and rounded out by having others, other others <laughs> here talking with us. But hey, we'll give it a shot and we'll just be real and transparent and hopefully it's beneficial. Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, so yeah, I guess maybe a, a place to jump from that then is is what is some of y'all's personal experience and I, oh man i used y'all's that the texas came out <laughs> all right we'll try to talk to the editing crew about that <laughs> but um yeah what, what are some of your experiences with this this journey of othering and and some things that you've learned that you think would be helpful as we start this conversation i don't know how much well re- <laughs> listeners you guys will decide how helpful this is <laughs> um yeah i mean older white male kind of for long periods of my life oozed along in the majority culture, mm. comfortable, not really aware of things beyond that. Um, then uh, moved to Portugal mm-hmm. and as an adult and had to learn the language 
and to a to a degree experience what it's like to be other mm-hmm. and to be part of a minority and got to quickly say um in portugal back when we were there anyhow i think it's still true but back when we were there americans were appreciated and liked and mm-hmm. respected so it's not like i was some looked down on marginalized um despised minority or anything like that none of that pressure mm. but um, I definitely didn't know what was going on. Mm. And I talked like a two-year-old, so people thought I was incompetent. <laughs> um, I remember the first month we were living in a borrowed house, we had no idea where to throw out the trash. Mm. Wow. Um, so we were accumulating it behind the front door because the trash trucks didn't come by. Mm. And it took a while for me to, f- or one of us, I think it was me, see somebody carrying a bag of trash. So I quietly trailed along ghosted them (laughs) and saw where they got rid of their trashes Lori I know where we get rid of the trash so I gathered up all the bags I mean to that degree we we were other yeah and we felt I I could feel the pressure and the need to expend a lot of energy to try to connect Mm -hmm. and just feeling out of it yeah um and it's it's uncomfortable yeah it it burns a lot of energy to Mm -hmm. feel other so I, I think people in this country, this culture, who are not part of the dominant culture like I am, um, they're, they're having to expend a lot of energy yeah. just to live day to day. Just, you know, radar up mm-hmm. you know, on high alert mm-hmm. or medium alert or whatever. Uh, it's difficult. So I think as people who are who are part of the dominant culture, we need to be sensitive to that and do our part, at least our part, to bridge that gap. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And I think um, one of the points that, that you were making there about how I, I guess it, it makes it sound like you've you've gained some empathy from that that small experience, mm-hmm. which again wasn't marginalization, but the recognition that there are so many different people that every situation they walk into, they might be the only person of their demographic in that that situation. And so uh, there is a lot of work, effort, and energy. And you're working hard to fit in well enough to that dominant culture, just like I did right? as somebody in Portugal, learning the language, learning the culture, learning how to not offend people, you know, faux pas here and there, which yeah. I did plenty early mm, on, and you sure. generate all these funny stories. <laughs> but At your expense. At my, at yeah. my expense. Yep. But... Yeah, for somebody who's doing that all the time, it, it yeah, it, we need to be we need to realize that they're probably making way more effort than we are mm. to meet us more than halfway into the dominant culture, and we we could we need to go the other direction. Yeah, yeah. yep, yeah, because I think for for someone like me, I, there's very few situations where I've ever had to to be confronted by that and be the minority person in the room or the the minority culture. And so that kind of empathy, I just, I can fit in most places that Mm -hmm. I go. And so I don't have to expend uh, very much energy or effort or um, be very conscientious of my surroundings. Uh, And so you can kind of miss if that's someone else's experience, how exhausting that could be. And and Mm -hmm. if you're constantly trying to do that, how important it is to go back to your point earlier, Alyssa, for for people in the majority culture to kind of extend the hand and and try to bridge the gap. And we're talking about feeling out of it or feeling embarrassed or socially awkward. Um, for a lot of people in our context, it goes way beyond that to, yeah. to a sense of danger, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and which we could get into, which could become very polemic. But 
Yeah, it, it, it gets, yeah, it, for me, it was just awkwardness, yeah. which mm-hmm. is way different than somebody feeling like, am I safe here? Right, yeah. Yeah, well, let's, so let's chat about that. So why do you think that people are hesitant to in, engage with the other? Can you talk a little bit about that fear piece? Um, well, I think, yeah, fear, I mean, that's a good overall word, but I think fear takes a lot of forms. Um I mean, psychologists probably would say, oh, underneath this is fear, under that is fear, but whatever. Um, I think hesitancy in engaging with others. Mm-hmm. I think if we're talking fear of the other, let's talk hesitancy also. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or let's talk avoiding. You guys have already mentioned that. Or or clamming up in a situation. Or or maybe somebody is listening to this and thinking, I don't fear the other. I just dislike them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, okay, let's include that yeah. um, in this dynamic um, or just a sense of feeling ill at ease. So mm-hmm. I, I don't want us to box in our feelings and our experience to and, and kind of short chain or short circuit some of the possibilities by just saying fear. Yeah. Um, it's fear is a good word, but I think more words help round that out. So why do we why do we fear or dislike or hesitate or feel ill at ease? I don't know. I think I guess my mind's going back to earlier part of our conversation yeah. where we, we don't feel like we can anticipate hmm. what the other person's yeah. saying, or maybe we're assuming they don't like us hmm. because of what we bumped it. We had some one experience with somebody or we've read things or we just imagine. Um, if we don't know, we tend to fill in the blanks and we tend yeah. to fill in blanks negatively. Hmm. Uh, it's just a tendency. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's true. And I think you can see a, a lot of the different ways people fill in na- narratives about certain demographics or people. And, and um, again, as we're talking about this, oftentimes there's a lack of proximity to people who yeah. are different than mm-hmm. us. And th- when you don't have a personal connection or some sort of proximity, it's very per- uh, easy for me as a, a, a white male to other and, and be fearful of someone who's different than me. Um because I, it's very easy for me to surround myself with people that look like me and think like me and act like me, and um, and I don't have to be un- uncomfortable. So th- there's definitely a, a place at which um, this proximity to that when people are distant, it's so much easier to demonize or dehumanize or, or fear or just avoid. Yeah. Avoid, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the most powerful antidotes from I mean, from my experience and everything I read, etc. Um, to to managing or reducing fear of the other is to get to know somebody who yeah. is an other mm-hmm. and you start just finding things in common and <clears throat> you find, Oh, I kind of like them. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully <laughs> I kind of like them. Or if you actually, if you don't like them, you're not generalizing. You're saying, Oh, this particular person does this. That drives me nuts. You're not saying all people of this color skin drive me nuts. You're, yeah. you're, you're, you're getting more realistic of this, oh, this one person happens to have a characteristic mm-hmm. that drives me nuts. Well, that's real different than painting everybody with the same brush stroke. Mm-hmm. I remember one time in Portugal, <clears throat> excuse me, um, standing on the sidewalk next to our, our minivan and my toddler, two-year-old son was sitting there, cute little cherub kid. <laughs> and I was talking to him. My wife was in the house dropping something off. And this uh, woman, probably in her 60s, Portuguese woman, came walking along the sidewalk. She saw me from maybe 10 feet away. And I could I could see out of the corner of my eye, she kind of stiffened, her face hardened, mm. eyes straight ahead, mm. a stranger, tall, white, 
or male or mm. foreigner. Oh, I don't know. So she was just going to plow past mm. until she could get out of the danger range, you know, mm. or just uncomfortable range. So she's plowing through. And then all of a sudden she sees Danny, my son, in the car and she just melted. He gave her this <laughs> smile and she just beamed and just warmed up to me. I mean, the, yeah. the, obviously I was a dad. Anybody who's a dad of this cherub little beautiful little boy <laughs> can't be bad. So suddenly we had this connection mm. because she loved kids. I love my kid. Um, and it just was somehow different mm. all of a sudden because of that proximity and that experience. Mm. Well, I think we are so apt to do that, like you were saying, Bruce, of we individualize good things um, in different cultures and then we generalize bad things, right? So I think a lot about um, if there is a gunman who is connected to the Middle East, it's automatically a, a terrorist, right? But yeah, the same all thing- All Muslims are terrorists. Exactly. Yes. But a white person, you know, like in Colorado Springs over the weekend, mm -hmm. shot up a birthday party and there's no word of him being- and I guess I don't know his ethnicity, but like a white terrorist, yeah. you know, that it's because this white person is in general culture. It's just an individual versus this other culture. They're all bad. They're all this um, yeah. generalizing all these bad things. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. You're actually channeling the conversation we had um, a week ago about the podcast <laughs> talking about how yeah we have enough data points, call it, mm -hmm. about our white majority culture or something, some culture that we know well enough, whatever it is, that when there's an aberration, we can label it, oh, that's an outlier. That's mm -hmm. an aberration. Yeah. So we think uh, uh, a white guy who takes the gun and kills a bunch of people, which is happening over and over and over and over mm -hmm. again in our culture. Um, we don't say all, all white young men or all white men are terrorists. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We don't do that. But one person from the Middle East who we assume is Muslim takes a gun and shoots some people in our country, we say, ah, Muslims, travel bans, stay away. Um, yeah. Muslims are terrorists. We, we do that very, very easily. We do it all the mm -hmm. time. When I think all of us have a level of fear towards the other, um, but I mean, really, so why is it a problem in society to make these generalizations? Or why is it a problem that we um, feel this way in society? Yeah. Well, one reason I would say is we shut out a lot of great, amazing people mm. that would enrich our lives mm. if we connected with them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. And, and then at, at a broader level, more institutional level, it's easy to create policy or have public support for policy for politicians to react to and create all these restrictive um laws, policies, and we've done that all along in this country mm -hmm. um, against against or trying to hem in different groups or protect um, the dominant culture from all these different groups, um, which is, well, one, it's unfair mm -hmm. um, and it's unbiblical. I mean, God all through the Old Testament insisted that his people treat the foreigner, treat the marginalized, treat the powerless mm -hmm. um, with compassion and as equals and with fairness, with justice. So, I mean, there's just a lot of things wrong with it for us who claim to follow Jesus yeah. and abide by God's values. But then just um, as, a, as a rank amateur thinking about public policy and all, it's dumb. It's bad. <laughs> um, and on a personal level, why shut ourselves out from a lot of people who are just amazing, marvelous people yeah. that would enrich us by just 
yeah, deepening our perspective and broaden, broadening our perspective maybe and deepening mm-hmm. our understanding. Yeah, I think that's really well said. I think of the different times where I've I've tried to bridge the gap yeah. or have encountered people who are different than me, whether that's, and again, all of the different demographics that we've talked about. I almost always walk away from that uh, conversation or that interaction energized, enthused, and, and with some sort of frame of understanding of my world having shifted. And there's a real gift and blessing, I yeah. think, that comes from interacting with people who uh, don't look like us, don't think like us, don't act like us. And um, and that can sound a little bit patronizing, <laughs> right? Like we've <laughs> got to be careful there about about some of that language. But I think the biblical example of, of God's heart for people to be um, not the same, but to have unity and diversity, um, and that all of these different uh, people are actually made in the image of God, represent mm-hmm. uh, the glory of God. There's something that we can learn and take from from all of them, and we miss out on some of that to our, to our detriment, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think we need to recognize that the culture we're comfortable with, and we're talking dominant white culture. Right, yeah. Uh, we need we need to recognize that that culture is not complete. Mm. Yeah. And it's and there's a lot that's broken about it. There's some, there's a lot that's good about it. And as we interact with people of other cultures, other persuasions, boy, it helps so much to gain insight into your own culture and see correctives and see strengths that I don't have that 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 other people have. It mm-hmm. so powerful. I'd say the ten years that Lori and I spent in Portugal. Um, changed me more than we changed Portugal. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just gained so much from being an other in a different culture. Um, I, I, am, I am part of the dominant white culture here, yes. But not internally. I don't feel completely a part of it because I've got a lot of Portugal in me still. Mm-hmm. And my wife grew up in Argentina. Oh. So she definitely, she's tall, blonde, Caucasian. She looks like she totally fits mm-hmm. our normal culture. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's something that, um, which we'll talk a little bit about the gospel, but I think as I've learned to understand the gospel more and more, that it is not about just God changing my heart because that is what is broken. It is that every system, every piece of our world, nature, yeah. all of these things are broken. And I think if you can kind of expand that idea of what the gospel is, then you do realize that, no, these systems are broken, that my my view of other people and, and that fear is sinful, not because I'm making this conscious effort to be sinful, but because of just the world is sinful. And Mm -hmm. so that we are called to fight against those things and Mm -hmm. that um, we are called to be, you know, in John Tyson's word, hospitable to the other, um, because that is what is biblical. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You're speaking my love language. (laughs) Because what I'm doing in World Venture right now, I started in business, Mm -hmm. but now I'm working in all sectors of society. So Mm. how does the gospel impact law and government? Mm. How does it impact media, entertainment, science, agriculture? Um, And working with people of those arenas to see the gospel impact everything. And in our church, um, in our churches, Waterstone does a good job breaking out of this. Um, we're, we're struggling. We're trying to. We're trying sure, to. Yeah. But in our churches in America, usually we focus so much on discipleship as personal piety. Come to Jesus, read your Bible, pray, be a good church member, tithe, and witness the people around you to get more people 
to be personally pious mm-hmm. or, or mm-hmm. godly. And we, we've neglected in our streams of our traditions and generally, we've neglected the impact of the gospel on all of society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're talking here about um, connecting and bridging to the other is a, is a powerful grassroots antidote to that mm-hmm. and, a, and a living out of the gospel the way God expects us to. Yeah. And it's all the way through the Old Testament into Jesus' ministry, teaching the early church, powerfully, powerfully there. Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there. Because one of the, the things that you often hear in these kind of conversations um, from the church is that, well, we just have to preach the gospel so people will believe in Jesus. And then Jesus will change hearts, and then change hearts end up changing the world, but the the part that's missing there is that there have been a lot of people who have been believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ who have perpetuated racism yeah. or owned slaves mm-hmm. or um, participated in alienation of immigrants, and so or just cluely floated along with the dominant absolutely. culture and not realizing that we have been either con- um, just quietly letting it happen or reinforcing it. Uh, unwittingly. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think one of the, the things that's important is is not that the gospel just has implications for individual hearts, but to your point, Alyssa, the gospel has implications for every facet, every sector of society and culture and, and people. Uh, and that is the good news of Jesus, that all of mm-hmm. these things that are so broken about the world, he came to turn those upside down under his authority and his kingship. And so the mission of the church is even so much broader than what we often make it. Um, and so I, maybe that's a good segue. And I think often in this podcast, especially this uh, series on fear, well, what does Jesus say about that? Because, you know, that seems like <laughs> a pretty WWGT. good thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that seems like a good place to go. Uh, so uh, how do you guys see, um, both uh, Alyssa and Bruce, how do you guys see Jesus responding to this uh, idea of the other uh, in the Gospels and his life, stories that you've seen from him, what, what's kind of, yeah, comes to mind? Well, maybe I'll jump in, Alyssa. Please, yes. Since I'm the guest and I <laughs> won't right. be here, Absolutely. You, you can correct this next, <laughs> next week. Um, I mean, 40,000-foot level, it's so fascinating that the, um, that the Gospels and the Book of Acts summarize the Gospel preaching that's po- mm. that we are doing as church as gospel of the kingdom. Yeah. Um, in the beginning and at the end, you know, when Paul's under house arrest in Rome and he has freedom to preach the gospel, it's the gospel of the kingdom. Yeah. Um, fascinating way to frame it because Jesus gave us a thumbnail definition of the kingdom of God. You know, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm. So what if what if Acts said Paul was at total liberty to preach the gospel of God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven? That would give us a different feel for this gospel that we're supposed to be living yeah. and talking about. So that's the 40,000-foot level. But then Jesus, um, you know, if you ask people out in the norm, general culture, what do you think about Jesus? Um, most people would have a say, oh, Jesus is cool. Well, mm-hmm. he was a great teacher. Well, what about? Well, the thing that people, a lot of people like about Jesus was the way he connected to and related to people who were other. Mm-hmm. Um Tax collectors, um, women caught in adultery. Yeah. Um, for those who understand the times of Jesus' world a, l- a little more deeply, Samaritans mm-hmm. or Romans, um, soldiers, occup- the occupying army. Yeah. Um, he, he connected to non-Jews, which for a Jewish rabbi was, oh, you don't do that. They are other. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the more powerful, attractive things about Jesus yeah. for everybody is the way he did reach out and connect to other people yeah. or, or other people, to the other, to use that term. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and I feel like when he was engaging with the other, it was it was gentle and thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he was engaging with the majority culture, the Pharisees, um, he was really condemning. That he's like, "You are not doing this well," mm-hmm. um, and that is not necessarily what the church is is doing now. And so I think your point, Bruce, of of the difference between people loving Jesus and and disagreeing with the church is so much that it seems like now we've flipped that, that we are um, so connected with political parties and all these big institutions as opposed to being connected with the other that was so the basis of Jesus's ministry. Yeah. And I think a piece that we forget in this often, um, and I forget which of us made this point in the 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 podcast uh, production means, so I'll try not to take credit, but we forget that Jesus was other and that he was a brown Middle Eastern man um, in a country that was occupied by Rome, as you mentioned earlier. And not to mention that, uh, there's also an aspect of Jesus' otherness not related to his humanity, but to his divinity, that he Mm. was the only god man among men and so there's this sense that that he experienced um othering from kind of both sides of of uh his character and and who he was the other thing that makes me think of as you both were talking is this idea that uh in our culture we are often known as the people who who give the gospel but we're a very exclusive faith we're a faith that that pushes people away because we have the one truth. And so we think because we have an exclusive claim to the truth that that's why people are offended by us. Um, it's interesting that as Jesus and then the early apostles in the early church are preaching the gospel, the thing that was offensive to people was not um, who was excluded, but who Jesus was letting in. As you yeah. said earlier, Bruce, it was Gentiles, it was Samaritans, it was tax collectors, it was prostitutes, it was women just in general, um, giving them positions of authority and, and, and flipping those hierarchies. And so when we talk about the offense of the gospel, there's an element at which Jesus' inclusion of people who are on the margins of society, who are ostracized for various reasons, he's saying, you have a seat at the table. The the feast that God is inviting all people to, uh, you have a, a prominent place and you've not been invited there before. So um, it's pretty clear, just a little bit from what we've said, and if you've been around church a bunch, that Jesus did connect with and include the other. Hmm. The next step that's really important for us and those who are listening is, well, what does Jesus expect of us? Yeah. And throughout the New Testament, it's just so interesting. We say, yeah, Jesus connected with the other. Great, wonderful. Yeah, well, Jesus dragged his disciples along with him and forced (laughs) them to engage with the other too, much to their consternation Uh and sense and and discomfort. I mean, we think of the woman at the well, Jesus and his disciples, instead of avoiding Samaria to go from Jerusalem up to Galilee, he went straight through it, which already was a real dumb move, (laughs) Um, according to the the common wisdom at the time. You don't go through Samaria. There's too much hatred. And then he's talking to this woman, which, and all all those kinds of things we've heard in sermons, if you've hung around church for a while. Then his disciples come back, and they're like, what in the world is going on here? And then the woman runs back and says, Jesus, is he the Messiah? Everybody comes out. A lot of people believe in him. And they hung out in that village for several days. Well, what about these poor disciples? It wasn't just Jesus. They were hanging out in the Absolutely. village too. Yep. Um, they were probably split up and sent to stay in people's homes, eat yep. their food. 
they never had, they wouldn't have dreamt of doing that in a Samaritan village. They would have been afraid somebody would put a knife in their back yeah. or just whatever. We just don't do that. Yep. But suddenly here they are eating Samaritan food, sleeping in Samaritan's homes, hanging out, telling stories around fire at night with Samaritans. <laughs> Jesus did that all the time, dragging his disciples into these situations. And he still wants us mm. to move into those situations. Yeah, absolutely. So earlier we were talking about the enrichment of mm. connecting with yeah. other people. I call that the pull towards change. Mm. I do. I worry about change a lot in my organization. How do we get new things to take root? Mm. How do we move people into change? How do we move ourselves to change? Mm. Well, there's a pull. Man, if I can just imagine that richness, it'll pull me towards connecting with the other. But there's also a push to change mm, from behind, yeah. a, like a stick in the back, <laughs> get going, move. Well, I yeah. think this is the push. Jesus expecting and demanding that us as his followers do what he did and engage with people who are different than mm. ourselves. He demands that of us. And we can see him doing that with his disciples all through the yeah. all through the gospels, yeah. poor people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think, um, you know, one of the, the things that makes me think of is we're talking about this inclusive nature nature of Jesus and the way that he pushes his disciples and followers to uh, be inclusive as well. And to uh, there's a, a line that I read in a commentary recently about Christians and, and disciples, followers of Jesus are those who are called to explore the frontiers of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea is that the gospel has all of these implications for all these different people. And the people of God are, are the ones who are pulled, pushed, prodded into these spaces to see, okay, what does the gospel mean for this community? What does the gospel mean for this group of people? What does the gospel mean for this other? Um, and that we are the ones who carry the good news to those places to let them know you have a, a place at the table too. Um, and not that we provide all the answers or solve all mm. of the problems, but we introduce them to Jesus and let them see that this Jesus welcomes everyone. We muddle through depending on the Holy Spirit to guide us, much like he did in Acts. Jesus continued to push his church. And you can see them stepping into first interacting with a eunuch um, who was a Gentile, but he was was, um, circumcised in a manner of speaking. So he was okay-ish. Then to Cornelius, uh, a straight-up Gentile, but a God-fearer. So he was kind of a little less okay, but still. (laughs) And, And you can see how God had to insist, insist, insist for the church to say, oh, Maybe a Gentile can be part of us. Mm-hmm. And then straight up Gentiles in Antioch. Yeah. Um, and you can just see him pushing his church to engage and accept and embrace the yeah. other. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that circle just continues to mm-hmm. expand. And it took a lot of effort on the Holy Spirit's part to get it to happen. <laughs> and I think he's still patient and he's pushing us. Yeah. Uh, I love that debate after Peter preaches to Cornelius and he says... Uh, the, all the council of Jerusalem is very angry and upset that the, this, this Gentile believed and, and was baptized. And Peter says, I preached, he accepted, and the Holy Spirit started him speaking in tongues. So what was I supposed to do? <laughs> and there's this whole debate going on, like they could actually change God's mind of whether or not Gentiles would be <laughs> saved. And there's this whole debate in this council, and they're arguing it out. And it's like, God just has to be sitting there laughing, like, no, my, my kingdom will continue to expand and include those that, that we continue to segregate and separate from. And and divide ourselves from. Um, and this whole discussion kind of um, highlights what I feel like is a fundamental principle of following Jesus. Mm. If we follow Jesus, we are continually prodded and pulled mm. out of our comfort zone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because Jesus did it 
all along with his disciples, with the early church. So we should not expect anything different from yeah. Jesus and the Holy Spirit if we are trying to follow him. And one thing I said during our production meeting a week ago, um, and I, I believe it, is if we feel really comfortable in Jesus, just mm. kind of going along with the flow and everything's cool, life is good, uh, it means we're not paying attention. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. Jesus doesn't want us. There's too much we need to unlearn and learn because Jesus cuts counter to any culture in this world, including yeah. ours. Yeah, There's absolutely. a lot we need to learn to to follow the values of the kingdom mm. and not just our dominant culture values. Yeah. So if we, if this podcast is making you, oh, listener, <laughs> like it is me, feel less comfortable, that's actually a good thing. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I think that's well said. So I, I think as we kind of maybe wrap up some of this conversation, people might be listening and thinking, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. That feels like a lot. Uh, it feels very overwhelming. Um, I don't know any people that I would mm -hmm. even classify as other. Like what sort of application points might uh, we offer to people, places to start, things to, to do, ways to engage, ways to, yeah. What would you think? Let me jump in as a guest. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, something I try to do, super practical and very simple, um, and it's hard to mess up. Um, if you're in a grocery store and standing in line waiting to check out and there's somebody behind you that's not like you, maybe a woman with a headscarf, obviously Muslim, just smile. Mm. Mm -hmm. And don't start chatting her up because culturally that probably would not feel comfortable. <laughs> but just smile. Acknowledge that she's there. Um, don't be cold and, and just a little human warmth. Hmm. Or if you, I've got grandkids who love going to that cool playground in Clement Park. Mm -hmm. And there are tons of parents and grandparents standing around watching their kids run around and play. Um, why not look for somebody who isn't quite fitting in the um, white suburban crowd that's mostly there, kind of standing off on their own, kind of wander over and stand, you know, not right up in their personal <laughs> space, you know, a little kind of, who's this creep, but kind of, you know, and then comment on what your kid did, their kid did, and just talk a little bit parent mm -hmm. to parent because you're hanging out doing the same thing. You're watching your kid have fun. Um, very simple stuff like that yeah. can can be a start. Yeah, absolutely. Because really what you're talking about there is intentionally creating proximity to people who are different. Yeah. And I do think for people who are, I'll say, stuck in majority culture, it does take some intentionality. Yeah. Um, it might even be like, you know, a step further, go to a grocery store that's not in your right. neighborhood yeah, you know yeah. or, or take your kid like to that. a playground in north of littleton right and you'll be surrounded by hispanic kids and families yeah exactly do that it, deliberately then it, you're the minority talk to somebody yep mm -hmm. you're automatically starting to bridge and you don't have to try to be great and fabulous you just be you mm. yeah yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you are great and fabulous. <laughs> right, right. Like, like, like the, the hip woman who happens to be on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Along, with the, old also white, along with the old white guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Alyssa, for you, any uh, thoughts or suggestions people could maybe take away from this conversation? Yeah, I, I guess I just always think about like food being mm. this great connector. So um, if you don't know what to say, you just take a big bite and think about it, <laughs> yeah. you know, that it just, there's something to be said for like coming together at a table, um, and 
just chatting with someone, you yeah. know, that there's just this like magical power when it comes to food. Jesus was always mm-hmm. eating with people that were different than yeah. he was. Um, and so I just think about, there was a quote from, you know, uh, beautiful resistance that talks about if we, um, meet with our neighbors once a week at a table, we would uh, what is it? Eat our way into the kingdom of God. Yeah, I love um, that. and I just I love eating. Right, shoot, same. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know that I just I think there's something to be said for yeah. inviting your neighbors now that it's going to be nice out. You can eat on mm-hmm. the porch. You know, whatever you're comfortable with. That there's opportunity for connection. Yeah. Um, and I just also think about and I forget what the reference is, but um. Just the idea that there's this hesitancy and, and kind of fear mm. going into these things that are different. Yeah. But I just think about the verse, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude mm. of sins. And I would insert also blunders, right? That like <laughs> yeah. that, that God is yeah. bigger than like the weird, embarrassing thing that you're going to do. And so don't let that keep you from trying to engage with someone um, because love is going to come over cover over that. Yeah, no, I think that's that's very insightful. I was reading uh, in a book recently, um, and it's this picture of the the kingdom of heaven after Jesus has returned and and all of the people are before God's throne, new heavens, new earth. And he was kind of painting this picture that that you know churches are notorious for potlucks, but what if at this potluck of of every nation, every tribe, every people, uh, every group, um, every other is at this table and they're all bringing their culture, their meal, their, um, you know, different expression of who they are and all of it is glorifying to God. And Mm -hmm. I think if we can have some of that vision, then yeah, I think, I think that that line about eating their way into the kingdom of heaven is totally applicable. Eat and, and be in community with people who are different than you. Eating is a, a great and easy way to do that. Um, yeah, any other maybe last thoughts? Uh, one other story yeah, comes to please. mind, and if we run over time, just edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're hearing this, it wasn't edited out. Uh, my son and daughter-in-law moved into a new neighborhood, new new construction and all, in Parker. And as it turns out, um, probably two-thirds of their street, of their immediate neighborhood, are Indian, South Asian mm. Indian families. Mm. And they all kind of know each other. And so my grandkids are playing with... Um, Asian, Southeast or South Asian Indian kids, and they're making friendships and working on houses together and getting samosas and mm. just wonderful, wonderful food together. And <laughs> my wife and I are so jealous. Yeah. <laughs> Saying, Fair. invite us over when there's a block party. Yeah, but, but just the enrichment they're experiencing yeah. by rubbing shoulders with, with neighbors who happen to be Indian, South Asian Indian families. It's a, it's a fabulous thing. They're loving it. Yeah, I love that. And I think um, maybe this is a, a thought we can kind of wrap up on, but it reminds me of something. Uh, Lane, who edits and mixes our podcast, she said in our meeting that when we work through our fear of the other, um, the purpose is to eliminate the fear of the other. And often what happens uh, as we enter these spaces is we realize that the fears that we have are, are mostly unfounded mm-hmm. um, and that uh, we can let those go. Um, and that, I think, is part of our calling as Christians and as followers of Jesus to step into some of those spaces. And I'd say it's hard to tackle conquering the fear of every other all at once. Yeah, yeah. that's a great Pick point. Pick one. Mm-hmm. 
one yeah. at a time, step at a time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yep. it'll give you more confidence for the next other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's a great point. Um, another uh, final thing, if you enjoyed this conversation today and, and would like to continue it, uh, we are offering a Justice in Action class coming up in June. Uh, every Sunday in June at 1030 in our activity center at our church, we'll be hosting our Justice in Action class on racial reconciliation, which a lot of the conversation we had today uh, will be kind of expounded on over the that four-week course. Bruce, I, I know you just took that course when we offered it in, in January. Any encouragement for why someone should or maybe shouldn't after having been through it participate? <laughs> You really can't think of reasons why one shouldn't. Good. Um, That's great to hear. (laughs) No, jump in. Um, It's safe and it's eye-opening. And uh, yeah, you you will learn. My my wife and I, Lori and I, have been reading about racial reconciliation and trying to work towards this individually. Mm. And then COVID shut everything down, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. But but we learned a ton, even though we've read extensively and talked. And my wife works in a different setting. And all that we we both learned a lot. So I mean, we're we're amateurs feeling our way, muddling our way through, and this class is a great way to muddle with other people. Great, thanks. Uh, birthday girl, anything you would add to close? Um, no, this was great. Thanks for not making me look dumb until right now. Oh, sorry, it's okay. <laughs> made it through fifty minutes, <laughs> but thank you guys both for being here and for a great conversation. Yeah, thank you, Bruce, for being here. Yeah, glad to be here. You just mentioned if, if I said anything that was controversial or or you didn't like, Paul made me do it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Monday Morning Phone Call podcast. We hope that this show will spark conversation and that you'll share this episode with a friend. You can join us on Instagram at WaterstoneCC and Facebook at Waterstone Church to continue the conversation and share your thoughts and opinions with us. This podcast is hosted by me, Paul Joslin, and Alyssa Frisbee. Today's show is edited and mixed by Lane Gerkink and produced by Emily Kloss. Special thanks to Bruce Swanson for joining us and sharing his expertise. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks.